Amen. Yeah, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You guys are awesome. It's so great to worship God with you. Can you just imagine what heaven's going to be like? It's like, oh my goodness. Just praising God and hallelujahs and all that. But man, we have this song to sing right now about this amazing God we serve and the redemption that he's brought to you and I. And as we celebrate that, God has a plan for us right here and right now. And he wants to do something in your life and mine. So let's let him do that. All right. Right now, will you let God have his way with you speaking into your heart and life? And will you be obedient to what the spirit of God says to you today? We are here because of this amazing God who loves us, and he has called us to this place. And I am um, forced by our, our bylaws of our church to announce that next week's a, 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 an election of the pastor, so I did that. Uh, you know the information about that. I don't want to get distracted from where God has us and stuff. I hate doing that stuff, so you know what's going on. Uh, vote yes or no, whatever. Uh, you'll get it. All right. Did you spend at least five minutes a day, at least five days this last week reading and listening to God's word? Do you, did you spend time with him? Okay. Last week, and um, our final action step, when we, if you were here last week, you may not remember, but I'm hoping you did. And I hope that you hear me now. I asked if you would take some time to be alone with God and just listen. Did you do that? Yes. One of the things that as we spend time with God, we learn is that oftentimes nothing super miraculous happens. Um, Because we're quiet and we listen with God and we're with Him, sometimes we sit in silence and just be with. And sometimes there's just a conversation of just everyday life. And it's very rare that there are those moments in that conversation or being with God in prayer or anything that there's this all of a sudden this miraculous and incredible God moment. And so I would liken that to my relationship with my wife and say that our relationship every day is pretty much normal and routine. And we have conversations throughout the day and usually our conversations deal with life. But it's rare that we have these euphoric Amazing moments in conversations. But we would never have those moments if we weren't doing the day-to-day routines. The only way the supernatural, incredible moments come is because of these events that come before in the normal routine. And if the normal, everyday conversation doesn't happen... The euphoric conversation that is coming is not one I want to be a part of. (laughs) Uh, If you're married, you understand what I'm talking about right there. Okay, so it happens in a good way over here because of the day-to-day. If the day-to-day doesn't happen, that doesn't happen. And so when we ask you to just spend some time alone with God, it's not because we want you to have this incredible encounter with God where God says, well done, my good and faithful servant, I love you. Those moments will come, they do. But the vast majority of your walk in Christ will be daily, routine, regular conversation. And we are looking at the Spirit-led life. And we looked at what Jesus taught us in John 14, 15, and 16 about the Spirit-led life last week. And we looked at specifically at those statements. And there were 12 things that Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do in us as believers 
and what he would accomplish. What we found in that context was Jesus was saying to us that the Holy Spirit is going to be all about Jesus, glorify Jesus, reveal truth about Jesus, affirm the words of Christ, and open up the future of what God has for us, that he would convict the world of their sin, their need of Jesus. He would convict of righteousness, understanding we can live for God, and the coming judgment that is coming. So Jesus said the Holy Spirit is coming, the advocate, the paraclete, the comforter, the counselor, this one, the Holy Spirit is coming, and he's going to do these things. All right. So then we looked at the teaching of Jesus in John 10, and when he gives the illustration of the shepherd and the sheep, and he says, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. And he talked about us, and that we would know his voice, and we would follow And so as we talked about last Sunday, how come we don't hear his voice and why do we not know what he's saying? And why are we kind of aimlessly wandering in the wilderness, oftentimes in the Christian community, when Jesus gave such clear teaching about the Holy Spirit being our guide, deliverer of truth, revealer of truth, showing us the way, guiding us in the way and leading us in life. Therefore, there's no real excuse for us to be aimlessly wandering in the wilderness on our own unless we're not letting him lead. And so we need to check ourselves and check back and find out what it means to be spirit-led. And oftentimes the church, pastors, teachers, priests, prophets, have misinterpreted and mistaught the spirit-led life to us because we want to highlight things that people want to know. We want to talk about things that you want to hear. And so if we talk about what you want to hear and what you like to hear, we're not giving you the full story. So I am going to talk about stuff that you want to hear, but I'm going to talk about stuff you don't want to hear. But it's going to be the word of God, and it's something we need to hear so that we can understand what it means to live a spirit-led life according to Scripture and what God has planned for us. So there's no better way to do that than to look at the spirit-led life of Christ. When Jesus Christ came, the Apostle Paul, in his epistles to the church, wrote and called Jesus the second Adam. The reason why Jesus came and was born of a virgin is because he could not be born of the seed of man. Otherwise, he would have been born in sin like all of us. Instead, the Holy Spirit came upon, did not have sex with Mary. It says he came upon, enveloped her, and God planted himself inside of the Virgin Mary so that a flesh was born like that of Adam in sinlessness. And so when Jesus came as the second Adam, the word of God is declaring to us, this man that was born was sinless and perfect, just like the first Adam before sin entered the world. Oh, it's critically important for us to understand, church, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He was not a spirit being. He was flesh like me and you, and he was human. He was God, but he was human, and he defeated sin in the flesh before the cross. Please hear me. The cross paid the price for your sins and mine, but Christ had to live without sin in the flesh before the cross or the cross would have had no help for you and I. And that is critical truth that we need to grasp as we understand the foundation of our faith because the only way that Jesus could be the sinless sacrifice for our sin on Calvary is that he lived a sinless life before as the second Adam that he was tempted in the flesh like me and you to sin and he did not. 
And he overcame not by his godness, because if he defeated sin by his godness or deity, as it is called, then there is no hope for you and I to live a Christian life. Because if Jesus could not do it in the flesh for us, there's no hope for me and you. All right, so now when we look at it, Jesus Christ, he resisted temptation. He was tempted. The Word of God declares it in every way like us, and we know that he was. Now, Jesus overcame sin by the power of the Spirit and the surrender of himself to the Father's will. His full obedience to the Father in the Spirit-led life gave Jesus victory over sin for you and I. Now, when we begin this journey with God and seeing Jesus in the flesh, we see the launching of his ministry as he came into adulthood in the, in the Hebrew culture at the age of 30. He was coming into this place of his ministry in earth. And we read in the book of Matthew about Jesus' baptism, which you all have heard a bunch of times. We'll hear it again. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was already preaching and telling about this coming Savior that was coming to save the world of their sins. And he was baptizing people and telling them to repent and turn from their sin. Don't forget that. John the Baptist is saying, you need to prepare yourselves. The Messiah is coming. In John chapter 1, we're reading in Matthew, just referencing something. The first time John saw Jesus walking down the shore, remember, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I was talking about. It is he who is going to do what God said would happen. Now we pick this up here, and Jesus meets John right there at the Jordan River. And as he is there, he says, I need to be baptized. And John tried to talk him out of it. Like, who? I am, a, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, is what John said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, listen to this church, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. See, constant submission to the Father is the life of Jesus. And he's here to be baptized, so John agrees to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. Oh my goodness, what an amazing situation we're reading. This is one of those moments, church, like that euphoric moment of Godness, where everything is right, and you know it where the Father has given you an affirmation. You know your heart's right. The Spirit of God is in you. There's acclamation around you. People know it's all happening right here. This is the moment of reality of not only salvation, the will of God, a right relationship with Him, but God's plan for His life is about to unfold. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had those moments in my life. And if you're a saved individual, you've had them in your life. That moment of Godness. Absolutely, Jesus is now filled with the Spirit and being led. For the very next verse, after the proclamation of God over Jesus, says this. And you all know, you've heard it. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. The Spirit-led life 
(laughs) Jesus is out there for 40 days. Church, please hear me. Baptism was, okay, let's do this. Dunk up. Spirit of God, voice from heaven. That fast, that moment's over. 40 days he's in the wilderness alone. 40 days is fasting. No crowds. No thundering voices from heaven. No affirmation. No miracles. Nobody there to see how he responds or what is going on. Completely and utterly alone in a battle. The Spirit-led life. Our very first example and sample of what it means to be led by the Spirit. (laughs) Are you excited? (laughs) Seriously, think about it. This is the first thing we're going to see. We want to emphasize the baptism and the euphoria and the voice of God and the celebration and everybody, woo he's the one. But the reality of the Spirit-led life takes us to another place. And as Jesus is there, and if you read in Matthew chapter 4, he's tempted by the devil. And here's what he's tempted about. You're hungry, dude. You're God. Use your godness. Oh, what is he doing? He's trying to pull him out of the flesh. Jesus, use your godness. Make that rock bread and eat it. You can do it. I know who you are. So there's this temptation in Jesus, a man saying, I don't need to be hungry. I don't have to wait till I get to town. I can have food now. I can provide. I am, you know, I am. Right? How does Jesus defeat him? Wait a minute. It's from the routine beforehand. The routine, the everyday. Here's the moment. Here's the moment. But what has preceded the moment in that moment was the knowledge of the word of God and spending time knowing God's word. For Jesus did not rely upon his deity. He did not rely upon his God power. He simply quoted the word of God to the enemy and defeated that temptation by scripture. The very next thing that Satan tempts him with is he says, hey, you know, the word of God says that You'll never break a bone. Why don't you go into town, go up on the temple and jump off? When you land, the angels are going to catch you. God already promised you'd never break a bone. Everybody's going to be like, wow. And you could say, yep, I'm here. All right, I'm translating, but that's what he said. All right. So the temptation is this. Everybody's going to know you're the Messiah. It's going to be fulfilled because of the word of God. They're going to proclaim who you are. They're going to know you. It's a shortcut to accomplish the real purpose of God in what Jesus was there for. That's the temptation. Let's just cut the chase. Let's stop with the three years of struggle. Let's not deal. Let's just go jump, and here I am. What does he do? Quote scripture again. Third temptation. Here's what it's all about, church. Here's what it's all about. Satan says to Jesus, just bow down and worship me. And I will give you all the glory of the earth. Why did Jesus come? He came to purchase what we surrendered. All the glory of earth. Us. And all things. Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. We surrendered all of God's creation on earth. 
to the enemy that God had given to us to rule over when we were sinless in relationship with him. When we surrendered ourselves to sin, we surrendered our rightful place and gave it over to the enemy. So the enemy says, I got all this, and he did. And he says, all you got to do is I'll hand it over right now. Another shortcut out of temptation to accomplish the reason I'm here. An illusion of accomplishment. The will of the Father is for you to redeem this world, to reclaim it. You can have it right now. Just do it my way. Jesus, again, defeats temptation by Scripture. And church, I want you to hear me. It wasn't until the final temptation that the Word of God says that Satan left him and the angels came and ministered to him at the end of the battle. Not in the middle. Not in the beginning. Not in the moment of truth. Nope. After. Affirmation of victory comes after victory is won. Did you hear me? Affirmation of victory comes after victory is won. We have it. We own it. God's word proclaims it. God delivers it. But I live in it. And when I live in it, affirmation of it will come. It may not feel like it right here. Right now I'm all alone. Right now I'm hungry. Right now I want to accomplish what God wants, but I really don't want to go through this. Yeah. The Spirit-led life leads to victory. But sometimes it takes us through the wilderness to get there. <laughs> Let's flash forward to Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the believers in the upper room. They're waiting. Jesus says, wait, power's coming. Holy Spirit's falling. You're going to have it. They're waiting in that upper room. Ten days after Jesus' ascension, 50 days after his crucifixion resurrection, the Spirit of God falls in the upper room. All of Jerusalem knows something is happening because they've heard the sound of a rushing mighty wind just rushing through the streets. And they run outside to find out what's going on and what should meet them. But all the disciples and the apostles and the followers of Christ that are coming out of the upper room and they're talking in other languages as the Spirit gave them the power and the ability to do and what we interpret as tongues, they're speaking in multiple languages, proclaiming the word of God as they celebrate what Jesus Christ has accomplished and what he's doing in the moment. The fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit. What happens, church? Peter begins to preach Jesus to him. What do you think he's going to do? Why? Because he's filled with the Holy Spirit like Jesus said they would be. And that when he would speak, he would talk about Jesus like Jesus said he would do. And he would lead them into all truth, which they're leading people into the truth by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ come crucified and resurrected, the Savior of the world. Verse 37 in chapter 2 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to the other apostles, to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Before I read anything else, remember what Jesus said? Although advocate will come and it's necessary because he's going to convict the world of sin of righteousness the fact that they can live a right life 
and the coming judgment of God, they hear the word of God proclaim the gospel all about Jesus, and they're like, we're doomed. What are we going to do? Conviction, power of the Holy Spirit. Now, God has unleashed himself upon us through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, and now the Spirit of God is moving among people and calling them to himself, to the name above all names, that they need Jesus, and they're struck. And Peter says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, your children, and to us, church, those far away. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Man, that is the message. He said, all you got to do is repent, turn from your sins, turn to God. You're saved. You get baptized. You're filled with the Spirit. It's promised to us. It's promised to you, to your children, those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Just want that to soak in. <laughs> then Peter preaching for a long time. Strongly, you you know you got it made. I'm not Peter, right? All right, go. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about three thousand in all. Okay, so like this is some awesome stuff happening right here, right? The, the word of God, Jesus already declared. The Holy Spirit is going to give power to witness conviction of sin. That's what the crowds already responded to. And uh, everything that Jesus said. Now, I did not read one statement that Jesus made a reference at a moment ago. Last Sunday and the Sunday before, we're talking about the Spirit. When Jesus was ascending into heaven, the very last thing he said to the disciples and the apostles and the followers, he said this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Amen. Okay. This is what's going to happen. You're going to talk about me out there. Amen. Out there. People are going to come to know who I am out there. Because you're going to be talking about me out there. Everywhere. Everywhere you go. So even in the most simple teaching of the gospel and the whole birth of the church and the redemption of God, we in the church have screwed it up. Mm -hmm. we, we think we need to bring people to church to get saved. And it's okay if they get saved in church. Don't misunderstand me. I want people to get saved anywhere and everywhere. Amen. But when you look at the, the scriptures, what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit, when he falls, he empowers us. We go out in the streets. We preach Jesus. People are saved. They're baptized. They become part of the body. It happens out there. It happens out there through us. If we're spirit-filled... If we're led by the Spirit, this is what Jesus said is going to happen. Man, the church is jacked up. Seriously. Come on. How did we get this so messed up? I mean, this is God's simple word to us. Talking about the Spirit, the life, the empowerment, what it means. All right. We want to get hung up there. Amazing stuff is going on. This is like Jesus' baptism day, right? I mean, this is like an incredible moment. The cool thing about this that I love is how unstructured it is. I, you know, I like that. I'm kind of loose. 
in that. But um, and here, as I look, I see like this total unstructured stuff because the Spirit of God's doing it. All right, this is the Holy Spirit at work. So the apostles and those that are there on that day didn't take all three thousand converts and put them through a. Uh, this is how you get baptized class. They didn't say you need to do this or show up this many Sundays before we baptize you. They believed in him and they baptized them. And so they were dunking a bunch of messed up people who just knew they needed Jesus. <laughs> Come on. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes someone that knows they're messed up, repents of their messed upness, realize they need Jesus. He fills them with his spirit and he gets them a new life started. It's, it's like, let's get it rolling, man. So here's what's happening now. There's, this church explodes from this 120 people in the upper room to more than 3,000. And it's like, now what are we going to do? You know, like, we can't fit here. We can't. All right, let's read what the Word of God says. This is the often overlooked section of the day of Pentecost. Verse number 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So here's, here's the deal. Before I read the next verse about what happened, the body of Christ began to live life together. Amen. That's what it says. They began to live life together. They began to learn what it means. Remember, some of these people, it was the very first time they heard about Jesus. They didn't even know who he was. They were there because there was a festival in Jerusalem coming from all around the world. They didn't even speak the same language, which is why the Holy Spirit had them speak in their language so they could hear the truth. So they knew nothing. And so what happens is, well, you need to learn what it means to follow Jesus. Now we can get some structure going. Now we need to understand we need some teaching, some life together about what it means to follow Christ. Yeah, there is that. There is that structure. There is that accountability, life together, living together, learning what it means, having food and dinner and meals and just hanging out. That's what they were doing. And they prayed. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. Isn't that awesome? Come on, church, like this awe of God. Oh, my goodness. God loves us. He died to save us. He put himself inside of us. He's leading our lives for redemption and to give us the... I mean, it's like, how could you not just be in awe of that? I mean, you. Come on, think about it. He did that for me. He did it for you. That ought to blow us away. We need to be in awe of God. And they were like, in awe, like, you've got to be kidding me. He did that for me. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Oh, okay. Spiritual power was manifested. Stuff was going down. God's stuff was happening. This sounds like heaven on earth. It was. It is. And all the believers met together in one place. Oh, so you do go to church. You do come together. Oh, I thought I could just do it on my own. No. No, right from the very beginning, they knew they needed to come together as community and as family. See, church isn't to dictate your life together. It's to live life together to the fullness of what God had for us. So they came together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold properties and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together. 
at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Oh my goodness, people were being saved every day of the week, not just Sunday. It was happening in homes. People would get together for dinner and invite their friends, and they would come to know Jesus. And the church is exploding. The presence of God is there. People that had needs were having their needs met. The community of Christ is living as the body of Christ, as a family. And they're functioning in love. And, and the people in the community around them notice. Did you see that in there? Hmm. They were enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Not just the church people. People in the community could see things happening and they knew it was real. Yes. <laughs> Crazy stuff, man. Unity among worshipers in the church, awe of God. Like things were happening, care of needs, miracles are taking place, fellowship in homes, community around them accepting, the church is growing, God stuff is happening. This is that euphoric moment. Like, oh God. This is the spirit led life, the spirit led church. It's looking like heaven on earth. Great stuff is happening, and it is, and it's going to. But we have to keep going. Because in Acts chapter 3, things begin to change. Peter and John are going to church like they did each day in worship and prayer and, and worshiping God. There's the cripple guy. Peter reaches out to him and, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The dude gets up and runs in the church. Miracles. Remember, we just read about it. Powerful miracles were happening. Everybody sees him running. They're like, I know him. What is going on? Everybody rushes over to hear it. So what happens? Peter preaches Jesus. Oh, that's the reason why miracles happen is because it gives an opportunity to preach Jesus for people that know Jesus. It's not about the person performing the miracle. It's not about the person that had a miracle happen on him. It's so that Jesus can be preached. Church. So here we go. They're listening. Again, people are struck with conviction. They repent. The church is growing. Now there's 5,000 men plus women and children. The church is numbering well over 10,000 people in this short period of time. God is on the move. And all of a sudden, Peter and John, right in the midst of this God movement, are arrested and put in prison. The Spirit-led life. Hmm. And so begins, from that moment until the end of time, the constant back and forth challenge and opposition to the Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, Spirit-anointed church. And Peter and John are put in a real prison. And as this happens, and as you continue through the book of Acts, throughout the epistles, throughout history to the present time, what we find is a journey of the church dealing with spiritual conflict, physical persecution, opposition from the world on every front. All the while, all of the junk is happening. Remember this. Lives are being impacted. The gospel is being preached. 
People are being converted. The church is still growing. Miracles are happening. Visions and dreams are taking place. All of this is happening. There's anointing. There's power. There's salvation. There's God movement. And at the very same time, there's prison. There's obstruction. There's opposition. There's challenge. There's persecution. All the junk comes with it. The spirit-led life isn't all the euphoria. And it's not all the persecution. But the spirit-led life includes both. And the spirit-led life does not allow the blessings to undermine them the same way they don't let the persecutions undermine them because our foundation is upon the work of God and the spirit that is within. Therefore, I am. If it's here or if it's here, I am. I am because God is in the lead. He is in me. He is directing my life and he is in control. So as we continue to read this stuff, you're going to see this happening. So why do we think it's different today in our lives? It's right there in the Bible. It happened to Jesus. It happened to the apostles. It happened to the churches. It happened throughout history. Why in the world have we believed a gospel that tickles our ears, that says everything and only good things are going to happen to you if you follow Jesus. Why in the world did the church ever preach such a thing? And why would we ever believe it when the Word of God says that's not actually accurate? The Spirit-led life has that. But it also has this. What is the securing presence through it all? The Spirit of God that is within me that affirms that I am a child of God regardless of that or that. That's what it's all about. Let's understand something before we go on because some people will say, well, then why would I follow Jesus? You know, like if I got to deal with garbage, I already am. Well, I want you to know you are already dealing with it. (laughs) You've been dealing with it. You have brokenness already. The only way you can deal with life is to have the hope and the presence and the security of knowing God. And He brings joy in the midst of struggle. And He brings purpose and meaning to our life to know and understand that this will bring victory as well. And it's only for a little time. I know Him. So here you go, church. I want you to know this. We are in a war against sin. Or we are a slave to sin. One or the other. You're not both. You're in a war against it or you're a slave to it. What are you? (laughs) Understanding there's a battle and it's going on. And there's going to be these powerful, exciting experiences and powerful challenges. We therefore need to begin to understand the necessity of building our faith and our spiritual strength for the battles that are coming each day. To know who I am in Christ today prepares me for whatever comes my way tomorrow. Just like Jesus in the wilderness, the baptism was awesome, the spirit was necessary, and it was absolutely critical that he knew the word of God for the moment of truth. This is what's happening in your life and mine. So here, as we read in the book of Romans, the epistle uh, written to the Roman church and believers, the apostle Paul writing to them, we love to dissect books, and I do as well, uh, but 
we sometimes can lose out on so much when we don't take it in the full context. And so actually Romans 6, 7, and 8 feed off one another, and he's teaching us something about our spiritual life. And in the beginning of Romans chapter 6, obviously we can't read the whole thing, but if you go home this week and read all of, starting with verse 1 in chapter 6, read all of 6, all of 7, and all of 8 in one setting. Do that, okay? All right, listen. This is the thing. In chapter 6, it begins with the call of God to get rid of the sin in our life and to come clean in Jesus Christ. And he uses the, uh, the reference of being baptized. And he says, when you're baptized, you're buried in Christ and your old life is dead. And then you come to life and the same power that called Jesus out of the grave now lives in you to live a new life, right? And he says, we can no longer live in sin now that we live for God and we've been changed. All right, that's Romans 6. Then he goes into Romans 7 and he's like, I'm trying to live this Christian life and I just can't do it. There's this war inside of me and my flesh is saying one thing and my spirit saying another. And what I find myself doing is always falling victim to the flesh. I keep falling down every time I look at it. He's like, I try and I want to do the right thing. And inside of me, I just can't do it. And then he comes to the amazing chapter 8 which is the climax of it all. And as he comes into this moment of truth for us, church, please hear these words as he talks to us about that new life in Christ, the struggle in the flesh, and the victory in the spirit. And this is where we're going right now. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. He's talking to the redeemed, to the spirit-filled body of Christ. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Look, church, you either got it or you don't. Do you got it? That was pretty weak. Do you got it? And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, oh man, I was thinking it's all happening at death. No, wait a minute. He says, therefore, wait a minute. It's not just down the road when we're redeemed in this physical body. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Quit making excuses for the sin in your life. You do not have to obey that. You have the Spirit of God living in you who has overcome sin for us so that we can overcome sin through Him. Come on, church. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature is urging you to do, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So have you... So, You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Oh, we were just singing about that a little while ago. Isn't that awesome? 
We raise a hallelujah. Yeah. Why? Because I'm not owned by fear. I'm not a slave to sin. No way, man. He has not given us this. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his children. Hallelujah, church. Thank you, God. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That is some great stuff right there, man. I would love to end it right there, but we're reading verse 17. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share his suffering. Oh, man, why didn't we leave that out of there, man? Come on. Are you telling me I'm going to have to go through garbage? Yep. Are you going to suffer sometimes? Yes. As a matter of fact, every one of the apostles except for John died because they followed Jesus, died because they had a spirit-led life, persecuted because they loved Jesus. Why do we think that it's only going to be this for me. I only want the blessings, God. And why in the world do we think blessings are abundance, wealth, prosperity, and happiness for me? Why is it that we interpret this and we in the church have falsely preached and put on pedestals those who proclaim these things as all is right and you're an heir of God. Look, you are. You're his child. You receive his blessings. We do but we don't read it all. You know, it's not all this. Do you get this? Yeah, you do get that. But hey, it's not all this. It's all of this. And we have a spirit-led life through all of this. Because if all I lived is in here, I'd be jacked up. If all I lived in is here, I'd be jacked up. But I lived through it all because I know who I am in Christ and I have victory. And I know I have victory because of what God says to me. So I cannot allow myself to judge myself and my spirituality by what is happening, good or bad, around me. So often we allow the the happenings of life to dictate where I am in my walk with God. If you're being led by the Spirit, you're right where you're supposed to be no matter what's going on around you. If you're leading yourself and your flesh is leading you, then, then you need to repent wherever you are and get right with God. But if you're in a place of darkness and there seems to be no answers and you feel alone, that's where Jesus was. And he was led by the Spirit there. Why? Because there was coming victory. And the victory that was coming to you was going to impact others. This is Jesus, right? And it's the same for me and you. Because when I go through that, and I come out victorious on the other side, it's going to impact other people for the glory of God, for the the light of Jesus Christ to affirm the gospel truth to people to know that it's real. I'm not led by the, the flesh. I'm led by the Spirit. So the main thing I want to know and I want to do is I want to know that I am right with God that I'm being spirit-led, that I'm following his lead, and I'm walking with him. So I live by the power of the spirit, and I put to death the deeds of our sinful nature. That's what Paul said. I'm going to kill that stuff. I'm not going to even allow it to be in my life, man. If you've got a problem with something, don't go there. 
Don't do that. Don't be around it. Come on. I mean, seriously, how stupid are we? I had a friend of mine early on in my walk years ago, man. I led him to Christ at work and all this, and he'd been an alcoholic and genuinely converted, amazing God touching his life. He's walking the faith. I'm encouraging him, trying to help him. Uh, I was working by vocation. I was pastoring and working in a, a ink manufacturing company. So I'm texting my buddy there. I'm talking to him, and one day he says, you know, um, doesn't respond. Next day at work, I can see it, you know. You know when someone falls off the wagon, man. It's all over his face, right? And he was like, you know, I went to the bar with my friends, and I was just going to bring, you know, drink soda water just to hang with them. I'm like, whatever in the world gave you the idea you could do that? Why? See, he says, kill the flesh. No way. Come on. How do you think you're going to go there and be okay? You're not. You've already proven you can't. Why would you tempt that? I am spirit-led. I am not that guy. I no longer go to those places. I no longer do those things. I no longer make uh, opportunities for those to happen. I live by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God leads me into victory every time, no matter what I face. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Isn't that awesome? Church, I want you to make this declaration with me. I have some statements. I don't know if they put them up here, but I'm going to tell you what they are. I'm a child of God. Jesus Christ has made a way for me to be adopted, and the Father adopted me. Me. He's like, I want him. Why? Come on. Why would you want this? I love you. Why? I'm in awe. I wouldn't want me. I'm a child of God. Man, we ought to proclaim that from the rooftops. I'm a child of God. Are you? Say it with me. I'm a child of God. Make that declaration. You are. God has adopted you into his family. Oh, my goodness. And if you are... Because of Jesus Christ, then you are filled with the Spirit. So you need to say that. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I am filled with the Holy Spirit. I have the Spirit of Christ living in me. Oh my goodness. I don't want to take Him any place He shouldn't be. I don't want to do anything that He wouldn't do. He lives in me. Oh my goodness, I want him to stay with me because I know what I was like without him. That scares me. It's messed up. Brought heartache and brokenness. Now I have victory. I am a, a child of God. I'm, I know who I am. For the first time in my life, I know who I am. I'm a child of God. I have his name. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to let any situations I face in life dictate my spiritual well-being. No way. No way. No way. If nobody shows up at church next week, please come back. If nobody, if nobody showed up, I'm still saved. God's still God. I'm still redeemed. My walk with God is still real. It doesn't... This doesn't change my spiritual being. Come on. 
come on, why do we think that stuff does? It doesn't. And I will not allow that to dictate who I am in Christ. No way. I am victorious through Christ in every situation. Everyone. It may take 40 days, but I'm victorious. Come on. I have to remain faithful in those 40 days to obtain the victory. But I will remain faithful through that because I know in every situation in Christ, I am victorious. God promised it. God promised. God's good to his word, man. I trust him in every situation. That doesn't mean everybody around me is going to change. I can't change them. God can't change them unless they let him. But I know I'm going to be victorious no matter what the outcome. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? You know him? If you don't know him, today's the day. He loves you. He gave his life so that you could understand what it means to be who you were intended to be. You've been chasing mirages and things out there in the world, and you don't even know who you are. You don't. And you need Jesus. And so make today the day. It's okay to get saved in church. I want you to get saved out there at work and school and everywhere, but you can get saved in church too, and you need to give your life to Christ if you don't know him. That's the very first step that we need to take. So anybody here, the Spirit of God convicting you, He's calling you. If you're uncomfortable a little bit, if your palms might be a little sweaty, if you feel this drawing that I need to go forward, hey man, jump at it. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not Dave. That's not this church. It's not the people around you. It's the Creator of the universe doing exactly what He said He would do. Jesus saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Advocate, so that He can come and call you. Oh, thank you, God. Come. All of you that have already said yes to Jesus in your spirit-led life, how did you get where you are today? How did you get, I don't mean at church. How did you get where you are in your life? Were you spirit-led or self-led? Today's the day that no matter what has got us to where we are today, this very moment in my life, I give myself to God and I will be spirit-led from here on out. It's not going to be Dave making the decisions. It's not going to be Dave making the call. It's not going to be Dave making all the decisions of what happens next. It's going to be, God, I surrender to you. I submit to you. You lead. That's what it's all about. Amen? Amen? What can you do today about the situations you're facing in life? What can you do? <laughs> Only one thing, right? I trust you. I can't control it. I don't know what all is happening. I don't understand it. It may be dark. You may be alone. It may feel like you're all alone. It may be like you're having a conversation with the devil himself. Jesus did. Right? That doesn't mean you have to give in to him. And it doesn't mean that you're not right where God wants you. Stay right where God has you and trust Him. He'll make a way. Church, He'll make a way. What fear is the enemy using against you to keep you as a slave? What is the fear that He's got you wrapped up in? Why are you afraid? Why? The Word of God says He's not given us a, fear, a, a spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. 
The word of God declares to us that we can know God and we can be assured in this very moment where I am. I'm no longer, we were singing it. We were just singing it. No longer a, a slave to fear. I'm a child of God, right? Singing that all week long as I was listening to that song on the radio. No longer a child, I'm no longer a slave to, to fear. I am a child of God. And as we were looking at that song, we were just doing a raise a hallelujah. Why? Because I'm a child of God. I'm not owned by fear. Then why are we letting it on us? We sing about it. We read about it. Let's do it. Release your fear. Give it to God. Trust him no matter what. No matter what we're facing, we can know today I am a child of God for his spirit joined with our spirit that we affirm that we are God's children. The amazing affirmation of the spirit of God that you're his. Isn't that amazing? I mean, do you know you're a child of God? (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me? We have like more time than usual today and I'm not just saying that I, I want us to take advantage of it. We have some time right now. And we need to just allow the Spirit of God freedom to speak, move, call, change, transform, empower, do what He does. All of it. So can you just wait on Him right now? Would you be obedient? First, I want to call you. If you don't know Jesus, the Spirit of God is the one that is calling you right now and He's saying, come. Come on, walk up to the altar and say yes to Jesus. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Come on. Church, if you're a spirit-led follower of Jesus Christ and you've been allowing fear to own you, would you come to the altar and lay down your fear? Surrender it. Give it to God, man. No longer are you a slave to that. We are going to follow the spirit in life. And we're not going to let that spirit control, dictate, or own us in any capacity in my life. From here on out, God, I give it to you. This is a laying it down to him right here, right now. We're giving it to you, God. We're giving it to you. No longer will that own me. No no longer. (laughs) I am not the enemy's child. I'm God's child. I am going to live as God's child. You know, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. You know what He wants. Just be obedient. That's all. Just do it right now. Come on. Come on, church. (laughs) Yes, Lord. Yeah. singing about in the presence of my enemies louder than my unbelief in the middle of the storm I'm raising hallelujah I know who I belong to I know he's got me I know he's got this I am guaranteed victory in me in this own it church come on is that awesome or what thank you Jesus own it I raise a hallelujah dear Lord Hallelujah. I do, God. Victory is mine in Christ. I'm walking in it. Come on. You may walk out of here and it may take 40 days. It may take a year. It may take whatever. I got it. It's mine. Trust Him. Let the Spirit lead. 
follow. <laughs> We're doing it, God, for your glory. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you. God, thank you. Thank you for freedom in Christ. Lord, we release these fears to you. We release our past failures to you. We release our flesh to you. We embrace you, you, Holy Spirit, in us. We embrace your leading, your convicting, your power, your presence, your anointing. God, we embrace you, and we give you glory as we leave this place in the power of the Spirit to be a witness to Jesus. Now, church, let's go out there and make a difference. Yes. Let's go do it, man. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You're dismissed. Have an amazing day with him.